Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I have two of my favorite people, Kristen and Jocelyn, are back to talk about some parenting uh, stuff. Uh, again, Jocelyn and Kristen are the creators of the McDermott Method Resilience-Based Parenting Series. Uh, they are offering a discount for Wife of the Party listeners. If you go to McDermott, M-A-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T, McDermottMethod.com. That's McDermottMethod.com slash W-O-T-P. I don't know if you have to have a code, but if you have to put a code in, it is W-O-T-P. And you'll get a discount on their parenting series called Resilience-Based Parenting. Wife of the Party is um, offering one scholarship uh, for resilience-based parenting. So if you go again to mcdermottmethod.com slash WTP and scroll down, Jocelyn said you have to scroll down quite a bit, you can um, put yourself in uh, as a candidate to receive a Wife of the Party scholarship in the resilience-based parenting series. Um, I think you have to kind of submit an application, and I'm not sure the criteria from which they... um, choose the scholarship winner, but they, Jocelyn and, and Kristen will choose the winner. Also, if you find you need some financial aid in uh, signing up for this series, reach out to them in that method as well by, by um, requesting a scholarship. Uh, I think that these two ladies would work with just about anybody who really, really felt they wanted or needed the series. So Definitely go to resilient, uh, to, sorry, to mcdermottmethod.com slash WOTP and register for that scholarship if you're interested. I've talked about it before. I am a huge fan. Every Wednesday, you get a little 10 minute or less sometimes audio snippet about parenting for the week. It's just 10 minutes and it is so insightful. Um, uh, Kristen is a therapist. And she developed this program uh, based on resiliency and growing resiliency in your children. I don't think you have to have kids to listen to this. I think this applies to any relationship you're in, a work relationship, marriage, relationship with your own parents, even a relationship with yourself. I have a huge fan. They also send you worksheets on, I think she said Friday. And then on Sunday, you get a little email that's about self-care Sunday. And I love that. To me, it's like, I don't go to church, but it's like my minute of church where I sit with coffee and read Self-Care Sunday. Very short again. They're not interested in taking up all your time. They're interested in giving you a lot of good information, something very palatable in a very short period of time. Couldn't be bigger fans of their parenting series. But today we are talking about boundaries in parenting, consistency in parenting, being truthful with your kids different challenges in all those areas. Um, That's mainly what we talk about in this episode, and I think it's a really good one. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Kristen and Jocelyn. I have missed them. It took me months to get us all booked because they are so very busy. So I'm going to start right now trying to book them again to talk about our next great topic, which is yet to be determined. So thank you for coming back every week. Thank you for all your emails, your posts, your comments. Thank you for sharing my podcast. And thank you for being so supportive. I really uh, do genuinely appreciate your support. So please enjoy this episode with Kristen and Jocelyn. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. I skated to your door at daylight. It 
So glad to see you, ladies. It's good to see you. Happy yeah, New Year. it's been a while. It's been too long. And it's nice. good to see you too, Kristen. Well, thanks, Jocelyn and I. I mean, supposedly we work together, but we have just had this period of time where we never see each other. I know, and we don't talk. It's very upsetting. So anyway, it's very upsetting. Here. <laughs> Does it mean that you're super busy? Yes. That's what it means. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. That's really good. I love your haircut, Jocelyn. Thank you. What is up? Can I see the side? It's so cool. I it. I love it. I don't quite love it yet, but I love it. I'll love it when it's a little longer. Why don't you love it yet? I think it's it's really cool. It's a little too short for me. It's a little too short and looks like maybe half of a haircut, but I have a vision. (laughs) (laughs) but I will tell you it looked even more like half of a haircut so I was in the chair I got the side shaved but then the back hadn't been cut yet and I got a call from my kids school saying that my son had coronavirus and so I had to stand up from that chair and leave immediately and go get my kid and then I had half of a haircut for two weeks (laughs) (laughs) it didn't matter because we were all isolating anyway (laughs) so every time I looked in the mirror I was like ooh. (laughs) <laughs> better put on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very funny story. Not funny that uh, that he got coronavirus, but funny that you had to just stand up and leave with half a haircut. I know, How's he I know. doing? And he was fine. He was like asymptomatic, so it was totally fine. But lucky dog. I know. I, ha- I had it. It was not super fun. No, not the mean, worst. I've been sick, but not fun. Never. Not asymptomatic. Yeah. No, not yeah. asymptomatic. No, no, no. Um, I can't wait to talk to you guys about this today. Because this, um, it's something that comes up daily for me. So is it really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. In your personal life and in your practice? No, not in my personal life anymore, but in my practice. Because you're really good just, at it. Well, I mean, I've been thinking about this for 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, you know, you kind of have to be, I think. Oh, well. Or it just feels, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about... Um, boundaries today. And I don't know if even boundaries is the right word. It's maybe boundaries slash structure in uh, regards to raising kids. Do you have something? You have something? Do you want to say, Jocelyn? No, I'm turning up the volume. Oh, oh, got it. You look like you had, you were raising I mean, up. I, to have go, I have so many something. things to say, but not quite yet. <laughs> and like another word I would add, Leanne, is just it's consistency. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, and I will tell you when my kids were young, by the way, I was not good at this. Cause I think this is the most difficult thing about parenting those younger years before the, those little creatures have a lot of, you know, like logic and reason and impulse control and all those things. It's just hard. I think it is really hard. I have to tell you as a parent, it's exhausting to be consistent. It um, is. It's really exhausting. One of the things that comes to mind for me that I had to be really consistent with with my kids is Isla was a hitter because she's not very verbal as when she expresses her frustration. She's very physical. So she would throw things or hit someone um, or, you know, hit herself sometimes, not very often, but every once in a while she got really frustrated. She'd pull her hair because she just wasn't a verbally 
motivated or, you know, she just wasn't verbal. So I'd have to constantly say to her, you know, we don't hit in this family. I don't hit you. You don't hit other people. There's no hitting in our family. Let me help you figure out what you're feeling. And then give her words until the light bulb went off and I could see in her eyes I'd hit the right word. And then she had a word for that feeling. This went on until she was about four and a half. Like from birth to four and a half. Um, And I didn't know at the time that she was dyslexic and had some processing delays um, that are tied with her dyslexia. And I think that probably had something to do with her not being so verbal. because She sees things in pictures and visual, not in words at all. So, but I kept calling my mother-in-law going, what am I supposed to be doing? I mean, I clearly, I can't spank her. I'm saying you can't hit people, so I can't then hit her. So, but I've said the same words over and over. And I can't send her to preschool like hitting people, you know, that consistency. I thought, I I thought she'd never get it. And then one day she just got it. And what, go back to that. What, what was the reason? Cause I think it's important because they're, sometimes it's other kids. Like, you know, sometimes they will just help you do it because they won't think it's acceptable. But like, what was it? Do you think? I don't know. Um, I don't know. She, she, you know, she never really hit anybody in preschool. It was always at home where she was able Mm -hmm. to just kind of let it all hang out. Um, so, so I don't know, maybe it was just a maturity. Maybe it was sometimes I think she, that child in particular comes to things at her own pace. So if someone gets it in fifth grade, she might've gotten it in third or she'll get it in eighth. You know, she's just one that develops very much at her own pace. Um, So I don't know if it was just developmental, if it was peer um, oriented, if she looked around and went, Hey, nobody's throwing things when they get frustrated. They're just saying, Hey, stop doing that. (laughs) I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, that is one of the really hard things of parenting is differentiating the things that are actual problems from the things that they're just going to grow out of. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, especially in those early, early years, I think it's so hard, but it continues, you know, when you were talking about the consistency, I have it with my teenagers where it's like, how many times do I have to say, please do this. Mm-hmm. And like, eventually you start feeling like a real nag about it. Mm-hmm. And but I, that's why you have to tie it to some, the most natural consequence that there is like the most obvious one. So it's like most, I think the hardest, one of the hardest things about parenting is that parents have their thing. It's like the biggest piece of leverage I have is my kid's phone. It's the thing they like the most of all. Right. So it's always just, I'll take away your phone. I'll take away your phone. So it just feels punitive and it doesn't feel like it's necessarily a consequence of the behavior. And it's hard to think of those things sometimes, but it's like, you know, I remember mine would be like, sometimes if, there's just something that I'm asking, like was asking my child to do that they just wouldn't, you know, do like something that would be helpful, say around the house, you know, how do you get them to do that? Then the thing would be like, there would get to the, be the day when it was like, okay, so I, I get that you're not willing to do this for me, which means I'm going to now do it because this is important to me, not important to you. I'm going to now do it. But so now I don't have time to say yes to the next thing you want me to take time out of my life to do. So if that's mm-hmm. driving you to a friend's house, I'm probably not going to have time to do that. Just letting you know. So it's like a natural consequence of how the sort of whole system in the household works. But but it is hard to always think of those things. 
It is hard. But they are I, there. They are there. I have uh, that going on with my 17-year-old now where she's conveniently forgetting things where I go, I'll ask her about something as she's walking out the door and oops, oh my God, I just lost track of time over and over and over. Oh, I just didn't think about that. And then I had to say, okay, next time you don't think about that, then you can have your friends over here, but you can't go to their house. So maybe you'll think about it next time. Maybe that'll make it important to you. So you know what the consequence is going to be ahead of time. Yeah. So when next time this happens, there's no discussion about the consequence. That's the consequence. And buddy, she straightened up. But it took me like two years to figure out that consequence, right? Well, because also I think there are so many things we do as parents that, I mean, every parent is different, right? But we have these just buckets of things that we think parents are supposed to do. And it's this long list of privileges that become not really thought of as privileges, but just become thought of as like, well, that's what parents do Mm because I'm a good parent. But if you really look at it, there are a lot of things that take your time and your energy and your money and your focus and all all these things as parents that, I mean, you could do other things with your time and money and energy and you wouldn't be, you know, neglectful or abusive. So I just Mm -hmm. think like when you look into all the privileges that you really afford your kids, there are some ways to balance it out that, you know, that, that tie in those things you're asking them to do with all the things you're doing for them. Does that make sense? Yes. Makes perfect sense. So here's something that I thought when I was a young parent that for my family has been really successful, but other families don't do this. And I'm, they have great kids too, but I thought if you lay down rules for everyone in the house, For instance, you can't have dessert unless you eat your vegetables. Maybe you don't have to eat all of them, but you have to at least make an effort. Um, That's just the way it works. Um, You know, you we we take a nap at two o'clock. If you don't feel like sleeping, you have to at least lay down, get a book, recharge, unplug for half an hour. That's just the way it works in this house. Certain rules, you know, when you when you see someone that you don't know, you have to be considerate and say hello. You can't just be like, not, I'm talking for like really small kids, yeah. like three, four, five-year-old young kids who are just learning to be people. You know, cause I think when they're infants, they're just learning to be a human. <laughs> and then when they get to be like four, five, six, seven, they're learning to be people. How do I interact with people I don't know that are safe? How do I interact with you know, within this group? How do I follow the rules of the culture that's in my household? Um, I thought those things were very, very important, like bedtime, dinner time, nap time, you know, eating your vegetables before you get dessert. But I know some people who just don't do that at all. But I think I see I see behavioral issues in their kids where I go, that's just because you didn't make them eat their vegetables. <laughs> is that is that accurate or am I just oversimplifying or like kids who have a really hard time with boundaries with saying, no, 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 you can have one lollipop, not four. And the tantrum that happens because they don't have four. And I go, well, they haven't been regu- they haven't been taught to regulate on you if you eat your vegetables, you can have your dessert. Because or that, just any any boundaries. It's like, like those that, kids. Yeah, like yeah. no doesn't really mean no. Right, I guess so. Or like what mom says doesn't matter. Or yeah. Um, or what I, mom's needs are don't matter. That's 
That's you know, but here's point. the thing, like kids are like, they are, there's nothing. It's the natural state of being for them to be totally self-absorbed and figuring out what the boundaries are. Like that's what they're doing. That doesn't mean they're evil. That doesn't mean they're anything other than just, but they are looking for the boundaries. And actually it isn't, it doesn't feel safe. They don't know this, but it doesn't feel safe to a child to not have those boundaries. And it actually doesn't feel safe to a child when no doesn't mean no, or when you can manipulate your mom or your dad, it doesn't actually, but they're going to do it because it's just like, it's like pure behavioral without any of the other stuff that as you grow, then you layer on top, like philosophy and interpersonal, all those things, but they're just behavioral little beings then looking for like love and safety and connection and freedom. And so they will push and push and push. And I think you're totally right. If given no boundaries, just the, the basic things like you're talking about, eat your vegetables, please. And thank you. We all sit at the table until it's time to be done, whatever that is. Why would they have those anywhere else with anyone else in any other setting? Right. You know? Except for they will if they have a teacher or another parent or someone else who is consistent. They will adapt to that adult, but they're right. not going to bring that home to the other one or whoever it is that's not doing it. Right. Okay. That makes sense to me. That's again about consistency. And right? I would yeah. also add in there that some of those things like eating vegetables, even saying hello to strangers... I don't necessarily think that there's a right or wrong on that. There's like the whole line of thinking of intuitive eating. And like, I didn't make my kids say hi to strangers if they felt uncomfortable with them, but, but making sure that there are boundaries that are consistent, Mm -hmm. right? Like there have to be some boundaries that are consistent, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that there's necessarily a required boundary around what you eat. But here's oh, well, what no, I think I was is just it's, using that as an example. Like, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say like, sure, go for the ice cream cone. Yeah. Eat whatever you but want. What, what feels important <laughs> to that. me is what, where it goes wrong is it, it becomes a matter of respect or mm-hmm. disrespect. Right? right. So it's like when you don't have boundaries with your kid and your kid learns, even though they don't like it, that your boundaries are your boundaries then they don't learn, they learn not to respect you or other people. And that's the real problem is like respecting other people's boundaries, but even other people as authority figures or anything. And that's the real problem here, right? It's, it's the disrespectful aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another problem with, they also can, can learn that their boundaries don't matter. If the grownups in their lives aren't asserting their boundaries, are the kids necessarily going to be good at asserting their own boundaries? If no doesn't mean no to mom and no doesn't mean no to dad or whoever the grown up or parent is, then does that kid feel confident that when they say no, that boundary should be respected? I mean, sadly, in the beginning of the time, they probably do because it's like if they're the one calling the shots, but that's what then there's like this rude awakening when you end up trying to have a relationship with someone who has a different way of like different expectations around boundaries. And then, I mean, then it's interesting, Jocelyn, you're right. And then, and who talks like that? You could figure it out if you could talk about it, but then people don't really talk about, this is one of those things like boundaries that everyone comes up against, but they don't really talk about. I need you to respect my boundaries. I mean, maybe more now in parenting we do, but 
But you're right. Those kids who don't learn that boundaries really matter are going to have a tough time in any of those future relationships. And I think where I struggle is in the, when I say no, I mean no, but there are certain things that I'm too accommodating on and I don't say no on, even though I really would like to, like we've talked about, this is a stupid example that for whatever reason always just jumps in my head. Like there's just a day, my kids would always go into my purse and get gum out of my purse and it felt wrong. And like, petty to be like, don't go in my purse. Cause they were like 10. What were they going to do in my purse? But there's just a day where I was like, God damn it. It's my purse. It's my belonging. I have a right to say no. And that's where I felt like I was modeling being like too accommodating on things that actually really kind of just, I didn't want people going in my purse. And for whatever reason, I didn't feel like that was an okay thing to assert with my kids, but of right. course it is. Right. It's hard to know. And each kid is different. You know, when we back to the food thing, um, Isla, because of how she was wired when she was really young, would not sit in a high chair, yeah. would not like couldn't tolerate being strapped in was like would like bow her back and scream. And I was like, this is miserable for both of us. And I'm just going to not make you eat in a high chair. We're just going to make a big freaking mess. And I would never have done this with Georgia because Georgia was like, hi, chair. Okay. I'm just going to eat. But that's, I guess it's not with food, but that's, that is an example of being flexible with the boundary. She still had to eat like at the table, but not sitting at the table. She would walk around the table and I'd like shove food in her mouth as she walked around because the child never, ever sat down. Like to the point where when she was like 18 months old, I thought she was like ADD, like hyperactive. Um, Cause I was like, she just never stops moving. So I have to make a choice. Do I want her to eat or do I want her to scream and struggle and really kind of not eat by making her comply with this boundary that I've set that we all sit and we eat dinner at the table. And I made the choice to go when she's older and mature enough, she can learn that lesson that we all sit at the table and we all eat together. But I fed her like following her around the table, shoving food in her mouth for the first probably almost two years of her life that she was, she started walking at nine months. So at nine months, she was not sitting in that high chair. That was the same with my oldest. And then my youngest was the one who would sit in the high chair. And I, I had a realization. So with my oldest, she never sat in a high chair ever once. And we would go out to dinner and she would get up and wander around. And I had friends with a son the same age and they were super judgy about it. And then, cause their son would sit in the high chair. And then when my son came along and he sat in a high chair and would just sit there and eat, I was like, oh, of course they're judgy about it. Cause they had a kid who would sit in the high chair. Exactly. Like if that had been my first, I would have been like, what's your problem? Uh, yeah. It is hard when you, my first kid didn't have any of these kind of extreme <laughs> Um, behavioral stuff. I mean, I was never a bad kid. Don't get me wrong, but she was, she would not sit in my lap and read a book. She would, she learned to walk at nine months old and you can't negotiate with somebody nine months old walking around like, Hey, that's unsafe. She has no idea what I'm saying. Um, and the high chair thing, she couldn't deal with that. So I had this kid, the first one who was like, I'll watch baby Einstein for half an hour and let you take a shower. No problem. <laughs> And my second one was like, screw that. I'm going to climb and jump off the couch. You good luck <laughs> yeah. taking a shower once a week, you know, and you have to kind of 
I think when you set boundaries, there are certain deal breaker boundaries, like hitting a kid is a deal breaker. You can't hit anybody to express your feelings. And even though I'm not going to physically restrain Isla or put her in some corporal punishment type deal while she's learning that lesson, but that is a deal breaker for me. But but hold on a second, because Mm -hmm. like you bring up a really good point. If you're going to have a deal breaker boundary, you have to be able to win. Yes. So. This is why it's good that these things happen when they're little Mm -hmm. and you can actually physically pick them up and you get to decide what it is, but it's like, that's a tough thing that comes up every time I'm talking to a parent with kids that like toddler age, Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you win? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was go to your room. I mean, we've talked about this on here before, even it's not like room is a prison, like all your toys are in there. You could lay down. There's everything fun in there. but you're not, and it's, it's a natural consequence. You're behaving in a way that isn't appropriate to be around other people. That's not how we behave. So you can go do whatever you want in your room, but, but when you're ready to behave in an appropriate way, you can come out here. So it's a very obvious consequence. However, you have to be able to win that and they don't always stay in their room. So there's some choices about like what people do. How do you win? That can be, you know, personal choices again, like you put a lock on the door and you put one of those handles on the door, whatever it is. But that gets me to the other thing that I think is really important is this actually hits on really deep stuff for people. And it usually comes from their own upbringings. So what, how were they raised and what did they wish their parents did more? Like, did they feel like their parents were too controlling? Did their, they feel like their parents were too neglectful? And this is like, a lot of times it's subconscious, mm-hmm. but if the meaning of discipline or going to your room or no meaning no is, oh no, I'm acting like my super controlling parent who didn't actually make me feel loved. Well, you're not going to want to do that. Right. And so it's like, it's not just this easy thing to solve for people because it, it taps into this real childhood stuff and this stuff about like what it means to be a good parent. And so I mean, it just, you know, it just takes a little like self-reflection, but Mm -hmm. to look at, well, what would it mean to me about myself if I put a lock on the door and when my child was in timeout and wanted to come out, the door was locked. That might mean that might be abusive to someone Right. that might, you know, and so it's, it's a, it's a bigger issue than just, you know, someone giving you guidelines. Very complicated, huh? It's very child specific, I think, because it's child and parent specific. Right, right. Yeah. As a timeout yeah. worked wonders for Georgia. I could sit her on her little stool and say, You're in timeout. And after you calm down, we'll have a discussion about it and we'll talk and we'd talk and she'd understand. And she, I could win with her like nobody's business. Isla basically was like, Yeah, go fuck yourself for I had everything. One I had one kid who, if I put that kid in timeout, and I won't say which kid it is because, well, you're about to find out. I put that kid in timeout, <laughs> and that kid would pee <laughs> every time, every single time. And I'm like, well, that sucks for me. <laughs> he was like, I'll show you how to win. You ready? <laughs> That's and funny. like, not even no shame whatsoever. Didn't matter how old the kid was. No shame. It was like, you put me in timeout. I piss on the floor. <laughs> Oh my God. So what did you do? I didn't put the kid in timeout. You discontinued timeout for that child. I discontinued timeout. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, then I what would you do? 
I don't remember what, what I did. It was so long ago. Like, I don't remember what I did, but I mean, I think it timeout lasted about five times and, you know, then sporadically I would try again and the kid would pee and I'm like, well, this is, I am not <laughs> going to win this one. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to find their currency, right? Cause every kid has a currency <laughs> And you have to figure out what that kid's currency is so that you can say, tie it like you were talking about earlier with the tie it indirectly to this, this is the consequence and make it hurt, so to speak, even though you're not really making it hurt, but to make it mean something to them. Well, and that's the thing about like, there's so many things to say about that piece is that it's definitely about behavior. So it's not about you being a bad kid or me not loving you or any of those things. It's definitely about behavior, but also the problem with some of those purely behavioral things, like, you know, you get a treat or you get a star, or you, <clears throat> you know, get the ball in the jar, whatever it is, is that then your kid's doing it for the treat mm-hmm. or for you and not for like what it really means to be a good human. And so, I mean, again, we can't necessarily solve all this here, but there are a lot of angles into this, into this, you know, whole topic, which I think then as kids get into these more rational ages as they get into the teen years. Now you get into that self-efficacy place where you really want to empower your child to take responsibility for their own decisions. And we want to be the parents who give the information, have really hard boundaries on the ones that matter to us. Mm -hmm. But also there's this, there's this little area closer to the fence where we have got to give them some ability to test their own judgment and prove their ability to make good decisions to themselves and to us. So like being super rigid about everything, like infantilizes them and doesn't even allow them to make decisions for themselves or so it's something that we you have to think about as a parent with different age groups mm-hmm. in mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with you. I think with having a teenagers now, um, I, I have to um, allow them to make mistakes in a different way than I did younger, you know, younger kids. You have yeah. to just say, uh, here's the deadline for your formal. You You need to, you know pay for it or whatever by this deadline. And if they miss the deadline, then they don't go to the formal and that sucks. But uh, you think at, I mean, that hasn't happened in my life. I'm just trying to think of a, an excuse, uh, an example where they need to be responsible for themselves. And when they're not, it, they need to feel the consequence for that and know that I'm always here to help or to listen. But, um, at the end of the day, that's, that's your, that's your ball game. And, um, that's what you want. Like you want, that's what they want as a person is to run their own show to the best of their ability in an age appropriate way. Um, and like teachers will have teachers help in that, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's like teachers have, there's certain ages you get to where they say, if they forget their homework, don't bring it to them. Yeah. You know, that's a good one. Does it really matter if they don't have their second grade homework, but it's an opportunity for a lesson. Right. You know, or are you going to be the mom who always does? I mean, again, it's like everyone, every family has their own tolerance levels and their own and their, and and actually maybe someone who's going to bring the homework, maybe their mom never brought their homework. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like you can't really judge from the outside. No, but 
But the way I think going back to the beginning of this, you can judge is when you have kids who they, they seem like they don't respect authority. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, then it's become a more global problem. That's not just, you know, in the household, but like those kids are going to have a hard time. So if you find that you are off in a ditch with your kid, right. And you haven't set some boundaries in place and now you're there four or five, six years old and you realize the consequences of maybe not setting some clear boundaries. How do you write the boat? How do you, how do you write the boat? I mean, it would be, it would be difficult in your own mind. Like I would find a friend or a professional if you can do that, but like someone who has some boundaries that you admire. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, because it really requires thought because you have to think of like, what are the boundaries that are most important to you that you would like to instill? And then you have to think of really, what will you actually do? Mm -hmm. What are the actual consequences that you're going to be comfortable enforcing if they aren't met and really sit with those and think about those because that's the hardest part is being consistent. And it's a lot of the time they're a hassle. Like I have someone right now in my practice and he has to watch his five-year-old often because, and he has a full-time job and people are still working from home and because his wife has, can't do it a lot of the time. And so he just needs his kid to have the iPad. He just needs his kid to have, be on, because he has to be on phone calls and do this, but it's the, it's his go-to leverage. Mm. But we were talking about it and it's like, well, you're hurting yourself. Like if that's your leverage, like what, of course you're not doing it because you know, it doesn't make sense. So you really have to think these things through with like, what's going to be the most helpful to you. What can you actually do? And then, I mean, I always say it takes three days. It never even takes three days, but the most it's ever going to take to change a kid's behavior is three days, but it could be a really not pleasant three days. But, so you have to really like, be just prepared. three days. That's kind of that's kind of crazy and hopeful because if you can, I mean, we're talking young. Like yeah, we're, yeah. that's for the younger. I mean, for a teenager, <clears throat> I got a lot more stamina than that. <laughs> for the younger one, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about for toddlers. For toddlers, yeah, like those kind of things. Like you're talking about if someone's like four, you know, and they haven't put it, you know, like if you're going to change the dynamic of what happens like within this household, you know, but, and also you got to make sure this seems really obvious, but you have to make sure there isn't some approval shopping or some like hole in the system where someone else will let wait, them out of Wait, the- wait, wait. What's approval shopping? <laughs> what is that? Where like, if mommy won't let me do it, I'll go to daddy. Oh, right? got it. Right. So you have to make sure like everyone in the system is agreeing on the boundaries and the consequences. Cause that's a lot of the time what the problem is too. It's like one person really wants to do it, but the other parent doesn't really, or they kind of do, but they won't. And so then this becomes undermining and then it just doesn't happen. So funny. Uh, My kids would approval shop when they were kids and Bert and I were 99.9% on the same page. As teenagers, (laughs) not so much. As teenagers, (laughs) I go like, why the hell would you do that? You just totally undermined right. everything I've been working on. And he feels the same way about me. I do it to him too. It's not just him. I'll do something and it'll go, well, don't you see that she's doing ABC? And I'll go, oh, I totally didn't even know. Yeah, now that you say it, oops. I feel like we should. We have to talk to each other more now than we ever did when they were younger. Because they're, oh, you know. Oh, for sure. They're so much sneakier, savvier, oh, yeah. smarter. And 
Bert and I ha- always approach, I feel like when they're really young, the boundaries are about the basics. They're about being respectful. Mm-hmm. They're about being consistent. They're about being, you know, a person of your word and, you know, being kind to other people. And they're kind of basic behaviors. When they're older, if you boil it down, it's still the basic behavior, but it's so complicated when what's going on is so much more complicated that you have to go, okay, well, wait, 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 what's, what's at the bottom of this? And why yeah. are you trying to do that? And you have to really think about it. I think you have to be super on your toes to have teenagers. Um, so Bert will always say, don't you see that this is what she's doing? And I'll go, I completely missed it. Totally missed it. I have that because well, I, I have, yeah. we have a step parent in the house. Um, what I find funny is that he will notice things that my kids are doing that I am so oblivious to because I'm like so in love with them and they're so charming, adorable. And especially with my youngest, he'll be like, he's totally conning. (laughs) And I would just be like, you're being such a jerk. No, he's not. And then one day, like all of, you know, when you have that moment of total clarity where I'm like, oh my (laughs) God, you've been conning me so bad. My son would, my son would distract me from something he was doing wrong by going, mommy, huggy. And I would be like, oh, you're so cute. I'll give you a huggy anytime. Oh, my God. <laughs> there was a day where I was like, oh, that's because you just like did something you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> drawing my attention away. And I was kind of, I have to say, I, even then I was like, my son is so smart. And Daryl was <laughs> like, stop. stop. <laughs> you have to see the writing on the wall. You have to. <laughs> I know. Right? Uh, but true. Think I, about. No, go ahead. Well, one thing I think we should get to, too, is the beliefs that your kids need to have so that they are on the same team with you. Like when you look at kids who I'm going to use the word compliant, and I kind of hate that word because I think it indicates some bad things. But but when they're compliant in the way of like, oh, we're on the same team and they're like they want to help and they trust you. I think there's like some beliefs that those kids have about their parents and their relationship with their parents and their parents' boundaries it would be interesting to talk about because some of the time those behavioral issues that you see are because the kids don't believe that the parents word means what it says. Mm-hmm. They don't believe that their parents have the best interests, their best interests at heart. They don't believe that they have a voice, you know, all of those things. Oh, I, I mean, want to say about good, that, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just that you mentioned a lot of them, like they don't believe their parents word means anything, but also especially as you get into the teenage years, if teenagers don't believe that you actually make an effort to hear and understand them, then you are not, you will not be, you lose all credibility with them. Right. So it's like, it's just like, eh, it's just another. So it's like, and that's like such a basic thing because you can make an effort to hear and understand your child without agreeing with them mm-hmm. and without giving into what they want. But like that piece is the thing that I think is the people who come into my office, that's the missing piece. So then it just becomes boundaries, but the boundaries feel to the kids like, yeah, but they don't really apply to me. Like they don't even know me. My mom, they don't even understand me. Like they don't think I'm trustworthy. So they're putting all this stuff here. I'm not going to go do that. Like it just feels like it just feels like a miss and it feels like an insult. And so naturally they're going to resist it, which is Mm -hmm. good because it's that little piece of them. That's like, no, see me. Um, You just described um, 
Georgia's sophomore and junior year with her dad. He mm-hmm. did not, uh, he just wanted to impose rules. And she basically said, sucks for you. I'm not doing it. And I think it was because he just wanted to impose rules. And I kept saying to him, she just needs to be heard. It, you don't have to agree with her, but you have to get her to understand that you hear and understand what she's saying. So she can say to you, I would like to backpack through Europe for my sophomore year of high school. And you would say, are you an idiot? Absolutely no. End of discussion. Well, now you've lost her. Yeah. So what you have to say is, well, that's interesting. Why, why would you like to do that? What is your justification for not being a sophomore in high school? What are your plans for that? Why do you want to go to Europe? Okay, so at the end of the day, you know we can't let you miss your sophomore year of high school. But this is something that you could think about doing in a gap year. Two years later, is there something going on at high school that you don't want to be there your sophomore year? That, uh, to me, that opens the door for a conversation instead of <laughs> what her dad did for two years was just like, are you a fucking asshole? No, that's not <laughs> what you're going to do. And I would be in the background going, oh, my God. Oh my God, you're causing so many problems. You're causing <laughs> so many problems. She's going to stop yep. talking to you entirely. And yep. she kind of did. And thank God, I think I had said to him a few times, she just wants to be understood. It doesn't mean you have to say yes. You just have to let her know that you see her, hear her, understand her. That's it. That's all she needs from her daddy. Okay? Not like this. you will do it my way or else. And finally, she did something. She lied. She lied to me three times in three sentences. And I knew the (laughs) truth to all three sentences before I asked the question, where are you? I'm at Michaela's. Are you sure you're not at Mike's? Oops. Sentence one, lie. Lie number two, lie number three happened the same way. Just simple. What are you doing? I'm doing A. I know you're doing B. Oops, busted. Literally three sentences in a row. So Bert was on the road and I called him and said, this is what happened last night. This is my plan for parenting this. Let's talk about it because in the past, we've not been on the same page, like I've said before, where he thinks we should go A and I should, and we just aren't on the same page. So we talk about it a little bit and he, he really, really shocked me. And he sort of fixed everything in one moment. So he, he and I are in the car with Georgia. I mean, he's on the phone and I'm in the car with Georgia. He's on speakerphone. And he says to her, first thing, I have to apologize to you. I think the reason that you're lying to your mom is because I was so oppressive and I did not allow you to tell us what you were doing when you were a sophomore and a junior. So now the only way you feel like you can get what you want is to lie. And that's my fault. Because wow, I that gives me goosebumps. You. I know, but that makes me want to cry. It was insane. I didn't even know he was going to say this. I literally was driving going, this is why I married this person. Yeah. <laughs> this is exactly mm-hmm. why I married him. Because he gets to it at some point. And I believe, honestly, he fixed their whole relationship in that one conversation. And she has been a totally different child since that one conversation where he said, this is my fault. You will not have any consequences for this lying patch that you did 
because it's my fault. So let's start from here with transparency and honesty. And if you want to go do something, you tell your mom the truth and she will assess whether or not that's okay. And you have to be willing to accept when she says no, but you're lying because of me. And that's not fair. That's not fair to any of the three of us. So let's just start over. And boy, she's like, mom, I'm going to Michaela's house. And and she's there. Like I can see her on Life 360. She's been completely honest and totally transparent since that one moment. Um, so what you're saying is so 100% true. And I think that's true when they're toddlers too. Because Bird used to say, well, if you don't want him to like, if you don't, this is a bad example, but if you don't want him to go in the living room, just tell him there's a ghost in there. And I go, but there's no ghost in there. And then I'm lying. And now they're going to be terrified, A, that there's a ghost in there. And B, they're going to go, she's a liar. You can't do that. He would try totally. He would try to parent like that all the time. And I go, but if you, they're so smart, they're going to figure out that you're not telling the truth or that you're not reliable or that you say, yeah, yeah, do your homework and we'll go get Minchies with no intention of taking them to Minchies and then not taking them to Minchies to get yogurt. They're going to stop doing it. You can't do that. The, the bait and switch is not a, not a good way to parent. Well, because it's always about trust. Like yeah. It's just always about trust. Do you trust that your parents really get you, really do their best? Like maybe they mess up and they bug you, but they're, they actually are really trying but also that they trust you. Like that's the thing is like teenagers feel like their parents don't trust them and mm. they just want, so, give me some way to prove that I'm trustworthy before you put in the, like if I mess up fine, but why are you acting like I'm going to go like star in a porn film when I haven't <laughs> even like it really, it's, yeah. it's so interesting. And, and it, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's trust and they do that from your right. A very, very early age mm-hmm. is like, can we trust each other? You know, are we really on the same team mm-hmm. and can I have some control over my life? Some you, okay. But like, are you going to give me some? Mm-hmm. It's, some I think they- it's super interesting too. Like you can see it at a really early age. We, I remember one time we had a four-year-old who we were watching for the weekend. And that four-year-old's parents was the kind of parent who would be like, you don't do this. I'm going to throw your toy away. And then wouldn't throw the toy away. Mm. And okay. So I remember this kid woke up at our house and I said, what do you want for breakfast? Do you want eggs and bacon or do you want pancakes? And he said, I want pancakes, but only if you let me play on my iPad. And I was like, I have no fucking idea what that means. (laughs) But clearly there's a lot of manipulation going on here. And I was literally, I was like, buddy, I actually don't know which one you want. (laughs) Like what's happening here. And I mean, it was so interesting to see, like, this is a kid who does not believe that the grownups mean what they say. Mm -hmm. And feels probably has to negotiate for basic things like pancakes for basic things and like has to play his parents to get what he wants. Mm -hmm. And really, he could have just said, I want this and I want to go on my iPad. And Mm -hmm. I would have probably let him go on his iPad because he wasn't my kid. (laughs) Well, I think the trust thing that you're talking about is what you had said, uh, Kristen, really is the basis of all parenting, right? Is trust and consistency. Um, and when you lose trust, when you lose your child's trust, it is so hard to get it back. Um, 
I don't know how I lost Isla's trust, but I lost Isla's trust at some point in her childhood. And I don't even know if she knows how I did it. But there was a point where <laughs> she believed fully that she was autistic and I was lying to her. And I, she had had a full like educational psych. She'd had a, a whole thing for her dyslexia. And I had asked everybody if there's anything that you see needs to be tested further. If you see any behavioral, emotional, mental, anything. I want to know because I want to help her in the most way I can. Every person that I ever <laughs> had tested her, I was like, just between you and me. Is she autistic? And every person's like, no, absolutely not. There's no indication. No, not at all. And I was like, okay, because she's concerned about that. But I don't think so. But I am also not a professional. You know, I don't know. I know she has sensory processing stuff, which means she doesn't like to be hugged or touched unless it, she's, you know, her sensory processing stuff is calm. And I get that. But I don't even know where Isla was coming up with this idea. Right. And so I kept saying to her, let's look at my track record. Okay. We found out you had dyslexia. I drove you to Playa del Rey three days a week, if, like for a year and a half to get your dyslexia remediated. I've done everything I could possibly do for your orthodontist. You have like extreme medical, actually, like our medical insurance is paying for her orthodontist because she has so much going on in her mouth. I've done everything to advocate for you for that. I've been at every IEP meeting. I've done everything I could do in your, in your, in LAUSD to take care of your learning differences. Why would I go autism? Meh. <laughs> it's, it's not in my track record. I mean, just look at my track record. So I don't know why you're not trusting me, but boy, she didn't uh, for years. She kept saying, and how'd you get her back? Um, I was very sneaky. If she ever watches this, she's going to be like, oh, I knew it. So, but <laughs> I kept saying, you know, the pandemic did a number on her. She is, she has a lot of her dad's anxiety and panic stuff. And during the pandemic, I saw it getting worse and worse and worse. And I kept saying to her, I think that we need to get some help. It was really affecting her sleep. And she kept saying, I'm not going to therapy. I'm not going to therapy. I'm not going to therapy. So I called my friend, Amy, who you podcasted with yeah. and called her and said, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. She really needs the help. But I also know if I force her into it, she's going to sit there with her arms crossed and say nothing and probably never go to therapy for her whole life. It's got to be her idea. And then I said to Amy, would you come to the Girl Scout troop and just talk about mental health like you did for the older girls? Mm -hmm. And Amy said, I would love it. And Amy loves Isla. And Amy's known Isla since kindergarten. And Amy just laid out what therapy is. She was like, you know, we can't tell your mom or dad what you say unless you're hurting yourself or, you know, the parameters in which you have to tell a parent what they're talking about. And Isla came home um, that night from uh, Girl Scouts and, and asked, started asking me questions about therapy. And then a couple of days later, she said, I think I want to go to therapy. So she went to therapy and I actually told the therapist about her distrust of me with the autism piece. And her therapist went, oh, honey, you are not autistic. <laughs> you need to let that go. You are so not autistic. And I just met you. I can tell you right now you're not. So you have to trust your mom a little bit. She's being very transparent with you because I said in front of Isla to the therapist, I don't need to know what's going on in this meeting. I don't need to know what's going on in your therapy sessions. 
unless you need me to know something or Jocelyn, her, her therapist needs to know something, me to know something. And then she'll tell you, Hey, I'm going to tell your mom. So for some reason that righted the boat. Once we got her into that therapist and the therapist looked her in the face and said, you are not. And she just had to go through another uh, reevaluation for every three years. When you have a learning disability, you have to be completely reevaluated for emotional, behavioral, everything. And she just did it again. And I said to the evaluator, would you please just keep your eyes peeled for any autism stuff? And she was like, yeah. And she she was like, she is absolutely not autistic. (laughs) So I was like, I have it from like four reliable sources. Will you please trust me now? And so she started trusting me, but I have no idea what I did that lost her trust. And I wonder, you know, My mom did a lot of things to lose my trust. But one thing that really stuck with me my whole life is that she never picked me up from school on time. If Mm. school is out at 3.30, I'd sit there for an hour some days, 15 minutes some days. There was never a consistency, even in her lateness. And, you know, back in 1979, there's no cell phone to call and say, hey, I'm right around the corner. I just sit there and go, well, when is she showing up? That's super simple and doesn't seem like a big deal. But, you know, Bert had the same thing where his mom was always late. And he believes that it has a lot to do with his anxiety even today. Mm -hmm. Because you're so nervous. Like, what if they never show up? I remember thinking, what if she never shows up? And she was never on time. It's not like she was was on time. It was just consistent, her consistency in that she was always late. So at a certain point, you'd think as a child, you'd go, well, she's always late. But I never did. And neither did Bert. But this goes back to that, like, it is heartbreaking. And it goes back to that thing that I was saying earlier about, like, with boundaries and parenting and those kind of things, the, the things that happen to us as kids by our parents have such an impact. And then you think, now there are two of you, even if like, whether you're still married or co parenting or whatever, it's like, so let's say that like you and Bert, you're you're still married and co-parenting together. So, goodbye. Sorry. <laughs> she tried three times to say goodbye. Aw. <laughs> you guys, Bye. Have, you guys, and I have to step away for one second. So I'm going to take this pause to do that. Okay, go ahead. So I'm just saying that like, you, like the that deeper stuff that's like the, we're not really aware of like, ugh, what, what this boundary really means to us. Cause it's like pulling on something that's coming from like maybe one of those painful parts of childhood. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, now we're in relation to another person. And so, you know, like with, with any relationship, you know, if one person takes a hard stand over here, it's the natural thing for the other one to go a little bit over there. Like mm-hmm. it's very, it's pretty rare that like, both people are on the same extreme. I mean, mm-hmm. parents can align about things, but you know what I mean? When there's mm-hmm. like, if my husband's going like, got really got that, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little this way if mm-hmm. I think it should be balanced. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot for parents to negotiate with each other of just realizing like, okay, but you're standing so far over there that it's making me go over here when really I believe the boundary should be here and the consequence should be here. But again, like, not everyone speaks that way. Mm-hmm. So then, or even has the self-awareness about it, but then cut to families who are divorced and co-parenting where it's not even amicable. Mm-hmm. And so, and so talk about like the approval shopping, but also like what people are bringing. I mean, there's so 
often the case that, you know, one parent takes a stance over here. So the other one just naturally slides further over here. And so there's a lot going on in the world of boundaries and it can all be solved with communication, Mm -hmm. but they're not easy conversations to have, especially when parents maybe don't like each other or there's something going on between the parents and the kid, or there's like some triangulation that's happening where, so, I mean, again, it's, it's communication and trust. And it's the thing that I think comes up almost every time we have these podcasts is like having the courage to say to your kid at a time when things are not in the middle of an argument, but just like, Hey, like what, what could I be doing better? Not saying I'm going to do it, but like, let's check in. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you, where do you feel like I'm missing? Uh, I'm again, not saying I'm going to agree. And I, and I'm like going to tell you what I think about you too, you know, but like have a check-in that's like a, maybe we are missing. Maybe I'm making an assumption and setting something that is just grading. And it's because it means something different to the two of us. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because, you know, Bert and I do, I've talked about this so much lately on podcasts. I don't know why it must mean that Bert and I need to do this. Um, is we're overdue. Um, Bert and I have always in our marriage from very, very young done something called a summit where mm-hmm. he and I will schedule a meeting, a business meeting in our marriage to talk about everything in our marriage from finances to child raising to vacations to this is bothering me, but now we're not fighting. We're in a neutral place. Um, we, we kind of check our ego at the door. We each make a list of kind of what we want to talk about. We usually go to dinner or go to lunch and have a good time and then sit down with the intention of just checking in like you're talking about. But I'd never thought about doing that with my kids. That's I don't know why. I just applied it to my, <laughs> to my marriage. But the other two most important relationships in my life are with my children. So I don't know why I wouldn't just do that with well, them. People don't. And I mean, this conversation comes up so often with me where parents call me and they're trying to figure out, well, what should I do? And Mm -hmm. I'm always like, well, if you don't know, ask your teen. This is for teens. I mean, Mm -hmm. you could go younger than that too, but ask your child. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you don't have to agree, but they're going to have some really good ideas for what they need, what would work. And it's like such a great, you know, lesson in problem solving and taking responsibility and communication and all these things. But we think as parents, we're supposed to know everything. Mm. And if you, if you don't think about it, you probably think like, Oh, that's kind of weird. But everyone who I've ever had do it is like, Oh my God, they're so smart. My kid like totally knew how to solve this problem or they were even harder on themselves than I would have been or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. May I put it to Bert, see if we can do a little Christ your girl summit. See whatever how how our report card shakes down. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Asking my daughter to clean her bathroom one more time is gonna be a big complaint. <laughs> Could you please just clean your bathroom? Please. Oh my God, would they please just clean up? It's would they just awful. clean up. I mean, I feel like filth is the word that comes to mind in one of my teenagers' rooms. It's filth. It's filthy. Where I go in there and go, clutter's one thing, but this is filthy. Like yesterday. <laughs> yesterday I went in her room and I went, I think maybe we should talk about maybe just like just vacuuming and mopping your bathroom floor. She came <laughs> totally undone. I was like, I'm not asking you to do the counter because she, you know, someone helps me clean my house, but they don't clean my kids' rooms. They clean, they help me one day a week. This big crew comes in and just does 
all our common areas and my bedroom and bathroom. But they don't do the girls' room because the girls should be cleaning their own room. But at a certain point, I'm like, I'm actually like creating a hazard <laughs> in these two quarters <laughs> of my house. I mean, I'm going to get rats and cockroaches in these two rooms because they're just disgusting. And Georgia now has kind of matured out of that. And she's having friends over a lot. And she wants it to look, you know, at least decent. Isla has not. And I'm like, oh, my God. So she, I picked her up yesterday and went, I'm going to warn you. I couldn't take it anymore. I vacuumed and mopped your bathroom floor. <laughs> she was like, okay, I'm actually really glad you did that because it was pretty gross. I was like, yes. And I understand she's had so many tests this week. She said so much going on. I'm like, I'm always here to help you. I don't want to do it for you every time. But when you're like that, just say, hey, mom, you can do it this time. And then next time you do it, she's like, okay, okay. I'm actually really glad you did that. <laughs> it was pretty gross. <laughs> but I was like, oh, Lord. Well, that brings up kind of an interesting boundary that I think happens. I mean, I think that most parents are disgusted by how their children's rooms are kept. And I know in my house, the conversation, the boundary on that is, yeah, you get privacy in your room when your room is clean. If your room is not clean, you don't get privacy because I need it to be clean. So I'm going to go in there and organize it. And my kids don't want me to do that. They don't want me, you know, in their room going through their drawers. So that's like, that's just when Kristen was talking about, you know, tying the responsibilities and the privileges together. That's an example that I use in my house with that's a good one. some amount of effectiveness. I think that's really good. I have taken a different point of view with their room. I read a book um, called Untangled. It's about raising teenage girls. And in that book, she said, you need to give them something they have total ownership of. And her example was their room. So, yes, when it's Christmas or grandma's coming to visit, you can demand that they clean their room. But this may be a place where you go, your room is your room. Here's my rule. No food, no sugary beverages in there. Um, but you clean it at your pace and this is your responsibility and your autonomy stops at this doorway. And so I did that for my girls to give them a space where they don't have to pick up their shoes like I want them or put everything away like I wanted. In the common area of the house, there's a shoe basket and that's where you put your shoes. You know, in their room, they can run their own game. But it is so hard for me. <laughs> it is so hard. I walk in that room and go, if I had 15 minutes in this room, it would be a show palace. <laughs> right now, it looks like a dumpster. It makes me crazy. But I made the choice of giving that to them. But I would much rather have made the choice that you made, Jocelyn, to say, you can relax in your room when it's clean. But I feel like who my kids are need what I gave them. is Because yeah. I am married to that person who cannot pick anything up or put it away. So if they have to, I'm I in my thought, I may be wrong, I'm teaching them to pick it up and put it away where it affects other people, right? All the common areas that they're great. Mm -hmm. They put their dishes in the dishwasher. They put their shoes in the shoe basket. They don't leave stuff laying around in weird places for, you know, days on end. Um, but in their room, they just kind of let it all hang out. So I feel like they're getting it that lesson in one place and then getting their freedom, their autonomy in the other sort of same with George's car. We bought her this great car. That car 
<laughs> I feel like she's going to open the door and like pig pen's going to fall out. <laughs> oh, like <laughs> my car was like, plus it reeked of beer when I was a kid. And like, my mom never seemed to be like, it clearly smells like you guys were having the party in the car. <laughs> oh, one time I opened her car door and I was like, it smells like vomit. She's been oh. driving people around that are drunk. And they threw up in and they're throwing car. up in her car. And I was like, someone has vomited in her car. Someone has vomited in her car. So I start going through her car and <laughs> that's not what it was. <laughs> she had a thermos of food that oh. she left in there forever. Like I've been looking uh. for this thermos forever. And it had like some kind of cream in it. It was like a creamy uh, pasta no. and it smelled exactly like vomit. So my brain had gone to, she's drinking and driving. She's totally drinking and driving. Uh, she's drink or she's not drinking. Then she's driving people who are drinking and she's too young. And then I found the thermos and was like, okay, <laughs> that's yeah. gross on a different level. But thank God no one vomited in her car. Cause I called her, I called her very accusatorily and went, who vomited in your car? And she went, what are you talking about? Someone vomited in my car? And her reaction was so genuine. I was like, clearly no one vomited in her car. So uh, I kept digging and I found that thermos and I was like, okay, you got to take a little bit better care of your car. I mean, how could you even get in it and not smell it? She was like, well, I didn't really smell it. I don't know how, but she was, was just used to it. I guess it just slowly grew over time, but it was overwhelming. That car is so gross. I just today, they keep doing this other thing that makes me nuts. And they pack their lunch and they bring my fork, not a disposable fork, not a compostable disposable fork. That's what I have. I, I have chopsticks and compostable forks. And they bring my fork like that you set the table with at night. I have one salad fork out of 16 left. And I keep going, stop taking my forks. And then I'm finding them all in her car, in her backpack. And she will not stop taking the forks. Both girls. I finally bought like cheap metal forks. I was like, clearly they don't like eating with plastic because they're princesses and they're not going to eat with plastic. So I bought like, inexpensive like Dollar Tree forks. I was like, here, take these. They still take my fancy fork. So I've lost 15 salad forks and several dinner forks. And I can't even set a, I can't set a place setting for 10 people because they're, yeah, they're princesses. Funny. But anyway, they're definitely not, I'm not holding my boundary. I'm actually saying what I need with the forks and they don't care. So what should I do with that one? Time out? Let them pee in the I think corner. maybe you should just lock up the forks. You should make the forks unavailable. <laughs> just like make them a meal that requires a fork and then give them a spoon and be like, I don't know, like give them a steak and then give them a spoon and a knife and be like, I don't know, I'm sorry. I don't know where my forks are. Could you imagine if you had to lock your forks? If that's your problem with your kid, not that you have to lock your liquor cabinet, but that you have to lock your forks. That's, that's pretty funny. That's funny. Um, so anyway, let's go back to this writing the boat. So you said to write the boat with with toddlers is about three days being consistent. You know what's coming up for me thinking about that, though? And this is just thinking of a few people in my practice right now. But when you're at that age, you know, they're, the kid is too old to not, you know, like four or five too old to not have boundaries. Like you just, you just know when that is right. Where there's just like, 
the kids at your house and it's like, they're not listening to you and they're not, they're taking other kids stuff. Like they just, they're not developmentally appropriately, you know, being contained with any adults boundaries. The thing about that is, I mean, this may just not always be true, but I feel like enough times it's true that there's something for that parent or those parents, there's something worth really worth exploring because, and again, it's like, there's a, there's a deeper something there about like, that again, probably comes from something that happened in their life, right? Mm -hmm. About what it would mean to enforce those boundaries. And so it's like, it's like have compassion for that parent because there's something there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, totally. Because I have these conversations and like they, they know, like at least, you know, a lot of them, like the ones who I talk to is like, I know I'm doing this. I know I'm creating this monster. And, and I still like, and then, and there's a whole, there's a bunch of work to do there, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't make them bad people and it doesn't, no. you know, no, of course, but not. there are some things there. It's, it's like, th that's when, you know, some conversations with either again, like friends or someone like me, but like can help. It doesn't have to be a lot, but like, you got to figure out there's, there's something there that's mm -hmm. deeper. Cause mm. it's not like they're going to just immediately shift and then start effectively setting boundaries. They're going to be really uncomfortable and not do it well at first. And mm. so like, I know from my experience with this very thing, the idea of setting boundaries and in a way where I was mean to my kids was mm. so awful to me mm. that I was like, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to be accommodating because I don't want to look like this version of a parent that's mean and undermining and disrespectful. Um, because you know, it just takes practice. Yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting that you say that. I guess that is true. You have to go back to the parent. Yeah. <laughs> and see why it's difficult for them. Some, you know, parenting. <coughs> sorry, so much of parenting, I think, is instinct. Or at least it was to me because, or for me, I thought, well, these things didn't work, so I'm not repeating that. So then what would work? And how do you figure out what that is and how to do it? There's so much self-reflection that has to happen. But so there's sorry. also so much self-confidence. Like it's hard. It's like you have to have the confidence. Okay, as the you just right? gave me an aha moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep going with that. Well, yeah. I mean, so that's why I'm saying that's one of those things that if someone isn't feeling confident enough as a parent to negotiate boundaries, that's that's a big deal. It's not. I mean, we could solve it in a few therapy sessions, probably. It's not like a doom, but it's. It's something other than just these are, this is what I should be doing. There, there's something there. There's some meaning there. There's some like personal thing that's going on inside of that person that is, that they are not confident about. And that's, you got to get to that to help them find their way through that. That is a brilliant statement. I think the self-confidence piece I'd never really thought of, but you know, when I think of parents who have a hard time holding a boundary, it really is about that. It's about self-confidence. And sometimes it's about, um, sometimes I know for Bert, Bert has so much real diagnosed anxiety disorder that sometimes he, 
an interaction with one of our children would cause him to have panic or anxiety. Mm-hmm. That is like a, like almost like a chemical trigger. And mm-hmm. then he'd have to hand it off to me to go deal with his own mental health moment, you know, hundred percent. And that is something very different than people like me. I have no, uh, I don't have that. I don't know what it feels like to be Bert. I can watch him and see. I can tell by the look in his eyes when he shifted into a panic place that he can no longer manage. Yeah. And so it must be hard to be a parent like Bert who has that issue and remain consistent even. Because I know with Bert's panic, you know, what causes panic today doesn't necessarily cause panic tomorrow. Um, it just kind of depends on what's going on in his body and his vi- environment and circumstances. And if, you know, allergies make him have panic sometimes, it's really kind of bizarre. I can't imagine how hard it would be to manage yourself in a mental health moment while trying to consistently parent. And that is, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that does happen. And whether it's panic or whether it's just there's this trigger that happens that maybe it doesn't feel like panic, but suddenly that person is responding from something that's not actually, there's something else in there like, oh, I have to, I have to take care of them. I have to make that stop. I can't let them be upset. Whatever it is, that is, it really predates what's happening in this moment, mm-hmm. but it's very real for them. And mm-hmm. so they, and like, who wants to go there? No one wants to like have to intentionally come up against these things that feel, especially if you haven't done the therapy around it, they, it feels like, like this landmine in your psyche. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's even too much self-awareness about it. It's just, even if it's like, you're not, you're just, they're just aware enough I know it's that, to know that like, they don't want to, they just can't do it. They just want to like make it stop, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. and like causing your kid because the toddlers and whatever, it is not pleasant when they are having a tantrum, like it's not pleasant for the strongest person (laughs) to have to deal with that. And so, you know, you get it. And it's like, I love that you brought that up because it's like, we need to have compassion and help. And there's, there's so much help out there, but it's like, that's kind of like professional help, you know? Yes, for sure. And there's help. I have to say it, your parenting series is, would be a great help for somebody, at least a great place to start and suss out where they may need further help. Oh, because yeah. a lot of the things in your parenting series are easy to easy to apply and help you self-reflect your Sunday uh, messages. You get on what's it called? Self-reflect Sunday, self-care, self-care Sunday. Sunday. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I just read it. I don't read the title anymore. <laughs> I go, oh, what is it this week? <laughs> You're, yeah, They're so great because then you it makes you stop and take a moment to take care of yourself because you have to and you have to to be an effective parent. And if you have no self-confidence then you're probably not taking care of yourself. Right. And th- that makes it more difficult to hold a consistent boundary um, and teach your kid how to care for themselves, you know, ultimately. Can I, I take this moment to, to, to give your listeners our URL? Yes. And I'm happy oh, to good. sponsor another um, scholarship. Oh, awesome. Because we, oh, uh, we have discounts for wife of the party people, so. Oh, you do? McDermottMethod.com slash W-O-T-P. I'll do it again in our, our, our intro. I'll announce it again oh, in our intro. Um, so yeah, when is, that was kind of a lousy pitch right there. No, so is it, <laughs> well, then let's pitch it again. So believe it or not, I'm shocked at this. 
I, I get new listeners all the time that just start from the current episode. So anybody who's a new listener, Kristen and Jocelyn have been on, I don't even know how many podcasts now. I don't know. Uh, probably 15 or 20 at least. Yeah. Um, and we talk mostly about parenting, but not always, um, but mostly. And and they, um, well, you explain who you are. <laughs> You do well, we have, well, I'm a marriage and family therapist and Jocelyn and I became partners on writing a book and both share this interest in parenting. And so we developed a course called resilience-based parenting and it's audio based. So it's little 10 minute audios that come in your inbox. And so, you know, the idea is you could listen to it while you're, you know, doing errands or walking the dog or whatever, trying to make it fit into your life, but it's just one skill at a time that'll help you, you know, become a more conscious parent. And if you listen to just the skill, that's enough. But if you liked it and want more, a couple of days later, we provide worksheets. And then a couple of days later, we provide written resources, but all each week is about the same skill. And so it's just a toolbox for parenting from, you know, our, our real focus is helping people love the tween and teen years but the skills are really applicable down to much younger, for sure, you know, end of elementary, middle, just when your kids become able to have rational, logical conversations about things. But they're still good to know. We've had a lot of people with younger kids in the program, and it's just it, the skills really are applicable to all relationships, as you've said before, Leanne. You know, it's really just like interpersonal and resilient skills. And so you know, communication, those kind of things, how to, how to be a good listener and how to really build that trust and self-efficacy that we've been talking about here and how to build self-esteem. One of those things, you know, obviously if we can build self-esteem in our kids early, then we have more self-confident parents. So, um, yeah, we hope people will take advantage of the discount. Uh, I have to say too that, you know, when you were talking about how it applies to all relationships, the thing that I have loved the most about working on this with Kristen is that this is all Kristen's content. None of it is mine. Um, and I reparented myself in some ways. So there were things that where it was like, Oh, I wish I had learned this when I was younger, but now I'm learning it so that even if I didn't have kids, it would have been life changing for me. Um, I agree completely because I just did a podcast last week about marriage and what makes a good marriage. Mm -hmm. And in that podcast, I was like, this really applies to all relationships. It's really, and in this um, resilience-based parenting really applies to all relationships, including your relationship with yourself. Yeah. So in, in 10 minutes, once a week, I mean, come yeah. on, you can't give yourself 10 minutes once a week to just, to just open your brain and take in new information and let it process throughout the week. That's what I would do is I would listen and then I would pay attention. Really, I think the best way to change is to take in new information and just pay attention to how that applies. And sometimes it doesn't apply. And, and sometimes if you're just paying attention, you'll go, oh, my God, that's what she said three weeks ago in that 10 minute snippet that I got. And here it has shown up because I'm paying attention. Um, I love your series. I think it is amazing. I can't say enough good things about it. Every parent I know I have asked to join um, because, and I don't know if they have or not, but um, I just think it's invaluable for 
every reason you've described for parenting, for learning about yourself, for your marriage, for better communication at work, you know, it can be applied to to every area of your life, to talking to your parent, to your own parents about, I mean, as our parents yeah. get older, it's almost like I have a teenager and a 74 year old teenager, <laughs> you know, they're like two of the same and you have to figure out how to talk to them both. And so I just think it's invaluable. I'm happy to sponsor another scholarship. Um, please send me the link to Thank do that you. because I'll forget. Okay. But I, I'm happy to, to do that. And um, how do wait, you, I have how to you... tell you something? What? That, um, wait, wait, you're going to say, I, what do you want to, what you're going to ask a question? And then I'll I was going to ask, how do, uh, how do they just go to um, McDermott method slash um, WOTP? And yeah, McDermottMethod.com slash WOTP. And there's right away a, a register link right there. And it's a discount for wife of the party listener, listeners. You get the friends and family rate. And, and what do, if they apply for a scholarship? How do, where do they go for that? That's there too. You just have to scroll down. Okay. Perfect. I think I'm there right now. So just, um, I think I'm just continuing to scroll down. Oh yeah. Scroll down. You'll see a button that says scholarships. Click there and you can, you can sponsor a scholarship if you're so inclined, which we would love. Um, if you're somebody who really wants to take the course, but you don't have the financial resources to do it, you apply for the scholarship there. Um, and we put you on a wait list. Wait, so I was going to tell you, I don't think she would mind me telling this, but um, so my daughter, who's a junior in high school in Florida, where I just moved, you know, a year and a half ago, her volleyball coach's fiance, uh-huh. so, uh, my daughter comes home from volleyball at the beginning of the year and is like, Dave's fiance knows who you are. And <gasps> like, thinks you're famous. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean famous? And she goes, I don't know. She's heard you on some podcast and oh, she no way. listens to you on. And so he asked me to sign a book for her. Um, what do I look so And now since then I've met her and it's wife of the party. And I'm like, Amazing. so I have my only fan because of you got recognized. <laughs> it was your first time getting recognized. That's so it's a small world, right? It's like, happening. Yeah. It's happening. Uh, it's happening to me quite. I was at <laughs> I was at Lowe's returning something, mask on, talking to the lady, and this woman comes up behind me and goes, "Are you Leanne Kreiser?" I said, "Yes." <laughs> she said, "I recognize your voice. I listen to Wife of the Party every week." But That's my friend, so great. it's so cool. My friend Kathy, who's here, you know, a regular guest, she got recognized at the mall, and she was like, "I can't believe I got recognized." <laughs> it was <laughs> so silly because you know, it's. I hope it's refreshing because I'm not, I didn't do this to get famous at all, at all. Yeah. <laughs> and neither did you, you did this to help people. And yeah. you know, Kathy's a social worker, um, maybe not a social worker. She, she worked with at risk teens in shelters who had drug problems and she has whatever degree masters or whatever dealt with that. Yeah. So she's definitely, and she's my co-girl scout troop leader. So we're just in it to help people yeah, and to help and to have fun. Um, so it's yeah. really cool. That's really cool. I'm glad you told yeah. me that. <laughs> now, what did your daughter think about that? Did she she thought it was awesome. She's my <laughs> biggest fan. Like, so I, I think I've told you this before too. She once reached out to some, like one of the early YouTubers who was this, this is probably like, I don't know, five years ago or something. There was this YouTuber who had a ton of followers and she like she had young girls and my daughter was in middle school at the time and she like mentioned once on her thing 
something about mental health. And Riley just took it upon herself to contact her and say, hey, my mom's a therapist and I really think she could help you. Here's her information. I mean, the woman never contacted me, but the point is Riley thinks it's great. Like she, she, she loves it. She thinks That's I should amazing. have a TikTok account of my own, which I don't even understand how that would work, but. That's someday. amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know how TikTok works either. But, <laughs> you probably but there's a there. lot of psychology on TikTok. I have so many of my college age clients say, Hey, I, I know you're going to laugh, but I heard this thing on TikTok, but it's good stuff. about narcissism and anxiety. And it's really, I don't even, I've never been on it, but it sounds like there's actually some Uh good stuff on there. Jocelyn, you got to start putting some of these snippets on TikTok now. (laughs) Uh, I know, I know. We, I think that maybe that might not be where we go. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. There is some really, really good stuff. And there's also really great stuff on all of them. I had a, a friend call me the other day about he was having some problems with his seven-year-old. And I was like, there's just so many great resources on the social media account, you know, on all the channels that there's no reason to not be following them. We have a um, Instagram account that we hardly ever post to, but, um, but ours is good too. It is. We're going to start again. Yeah. What, what is your Instagram handle? It's McDermott method. McDermott method. Perfect. So you can join that also. You used to do little mini books on those, right? I know we need to do it again. It's just, oh, our Where's day jobs have gotten in the way. I mean, yes. The whole yeah. managing yeah. that is a whole full-time job. I'm, I I can only imagine because I feel like a complete failure with my podcast because all I do is show up and do this. I've completely stopped maintaining my website. I don't post anything on Instagram related to it. Only Halston does. And you look at it and you go, there are 18 different avenues I should be doing to maximize this quote business. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like I don't have the capacity to do that. It would take, I, I need a whole, I need another employee you to, to really run my Facebook page, run my Instagram account, run, you know, I have like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. That's a lot. So, yeah. and I feel bad that I don't take advantage of that to, but I just don't know. I just don't have the bandwidth. It's too hard. It's too hard to effectively parent, to be a good partner Mm -hmm. to your spouse, to cook a decent meal. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and I don't do that one. And take care. (laughs) But Leanne, that's reminding me and take care of yourself. So you don't just pass out. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. The self-care piece too. There's not enough time. It's the the self-care piece I find, and I don't know if everybody feels this way, the hardest piece to maintain. Like I've been working out with my trainer now for two years, a little over two years. And it, it, I, it's just, it's not hard to get there. I love going. I love working out. I love the way it makes me feel, but it is like a two hour vacuum in the middle of my day that I am is starting to bother me. Mm-hmm. Not the, not the workout, but that the time of day that it has to happen because of what's available for my trainer is making me still feel frustrated. And it's a real mm-hmm. fight for me to go, no, you must keep going. It doesn't matter. You can make it work. You can make everything. Cause I can, but that self-care piece is really hard. And the same with the cooking something nice to eat for dinner. I so often mm-hmm. just want to order Postmates. And then when you order Postmates, who wants to order a salad? Not me. I want to to order pasta or something good. I can make a salad at home. I don't want to do that. And that piece is really hard 
too. Um, that's why the Sunday, have a cup of coffee. I look at your self-care Sunday. It makes me stop for at least a minute. It's a little bit of church without going to church. So <laughs> I like that. Anyway. Yeah. I use our self-care Sunday sometimes too to get like free therapy from Kristen. <laughs> I get lots of free therapy from Kristen, by the way. It's really a huge perk. You're so good. Every time I Kristen's so great too. Every time I call her, I'm like, it's personal therapy. Is that okay? And Kristen's like, oh, I love talking about it. <laughs> I love it. I do, I do. There has to be a time when Kristen's probably like, oh my fucking God, again. There's not. There's I know not. you crack. Like, there is. It's so nice of you. Well, I think it's nice of her, but I think it's who she is. She genuinely does. That's love the thing. Talking yeah. about. That's it. I think she yeah. has found her. Uh, she's found her path. Well, and it's it, not all altruistic because it. it makes me feel good about myself and my life, you know? So it's like, yeah. there's that, it's in, there's that for me too. Well, because yeah. your life is so shitty. Her life, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, wow, shoo, you I got it good over here. <laughs> Let me see how good I can feel now. Also, well, I I'm mean, just kidding. there might be part of that because I was- There is not any of that. There is not, <laughs> there's not any of that. I was just thinking though- Yesterday or this morning, I can't remember. I've lost track of time about how many dumb ass things I've called you about where usually (laughs) I don't know what to say. What do I say? And it's stupid shit. It's stupid. I don't don't know why I'm saying so much, but it's such like stuff where I'm like, oh my God. And I know that there's huge judgment here on myself that I shouldn't have, but I'm like, why am I 47 years old? And I don't know what words to say. But that's the biggest thing. I feel, well, the fact that you're a writer, but I still think that's maybe the biggest service that we therapists do is help people figure out what to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, it is, that's the thing is like, what words do I use? And I get that it can feel obvious to you, like after the fact, but it's not obvious to people. It's just like, that's, it's like helpful to have someone help with that. Well, and this brings it back around to just boundaries where like when you think about boundaries, it's not just this was a huge realization to me. And I don't know why, because it should seem obvious, but boundaries aren't just something you have. There's something that you have to do. You have to say things to assert your boundaries. And that was like, that's really hard for me to go, okay, but how do I say it in a way that's like, I get my need met, but I'm not mean. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. so that is super, super hard. Because oftentimes by the time you get to the point where you're going to assert your boundary, you're pissed off and frustrated. Mm -hmm. It is hard. It's definitely a learned skill. That is a learned skill. That's not something a lot of people naturally have. Yeah. Um, yeah. To be able to say. really good at it. I need to have her cell phone. Just call her up (laughs) any (laughs) time. Loves it. It makes her feel good about herself. Well, but you know what? Also, this is making me realize is that a lot of times our boundaries get crossed and we feel like we have to know what to say in the moment and we are pissed. And when we're dysregulated, our cognitive functioning goes offline. Oh, I'm moving my hand so that I don't have a hand with the background. (laughs) It's been happening this whole time. It has, it has. I just noticed, sorry. Um, (laughs) But the thing about it is that, you know, if people can just remember, take the pause. Take the pause, realize that you are not going to solve the problem when you're super agitated or angry, walk away. These things require thought Mm -hmm. and they require thought with someone else that can help you actually. So noodle it around and don't go back into that arena until you're regulated emotionally, until you have really thought through some logical boundaries and consequences, including the words, the scripts that you're going to use 
you know, to, to say it. So there's a lot there. It's like, don't expect yourself to be able to do it on the fly. I totally agree. That's what I, most of what I talk to my therapist about these days are, is exactly that. How do I handle this situation for the least damage, you know, the least collateral damage and, and that everybody gets what they need as much as possible. I, that's what I use, uh, use I hate that word, but that's what we talk about a lot is how do we, how do I, how do I talk about this or how do I say what I need or even what do I need? A lot of times I don't know what I need and I know I need something, but I don't know what it is because much like my daughter, Isla, I don't think I'm a super verbal thinker either. Sometimes, mm. especially if I'm upset, I just, um, just words go totally out of my head. Well, that's, um, I think that's true of everybody. I mean, that's fight or flight. Uh, right? No. Oh uh, yeah. You're right. Cause some people get really mean and angry and they, ooh, yeah. The guy I'm married to <laughs> has no loss of words when he's angry. Yeah. Uh, words come out of his asshole. And they come out of everywhere where I'm like, dude, I mean, there was one argument where he told me <laughs> I was emasculating him because I was baiting a hook in front of him for my children. And I was like, you're not thinking about what you're saying here. This is not, if you think about that, that's ridiculous. You'd be proud that your wife knows how to bait a hook and you were all the way up there. Whatever. You don't even know what you're talking about. Half the time, what he says in an argument is useless and meaningless. And the next day he'll go, here's what I really meant. And I go, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I just ignored 80% of the words you just said. So I don't think everybody's like that. Words just fly out of his mouth. George is similar. George is very verbal. She can tell you what she's feeling and what she needs in a moment's notice. And this has been one of the big disconnects with me and Bert from the beginning of our marriage is that he will just, verbally vomit everything he's feeling. And I'm just stumped. I just go, I, 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 can I get back to you? And it makes him so angry because I can't formulate my thoughts when I'm so feeling so strongly and he can't keep them in verbally. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I have to take a minute because if I start talking, I just start talking nonsense. Like, I can't believe you'd bait a hook in front of me <laughs> and emasculate me in front of our, ch- our children. <laughs> I'm like, that's usually people say, yeah, that's pretty emasculating. <laughs> what? So I would, I would talk like that too. And unfortunately, I'm such a literal thinker and talker. I'm very literal. So if I say you're emasculating me, that's really what I mean. What he was saying was, I'm upset and I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to throw shit all over the place until something hits that's right. And I can't do that. My brain doesn't work like that. So I don't know. Well, and it's probably better to not just start saying words that are unfiltered in the heat of the moment. Slinging mud, as we say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he slings a lot of mud. And I just go, whoop wiping off the mud. <laughs> you don't mean that. <laughs> he's so lucky that I know that most of what he says when he's angry. He, he really worry. is because it could be that it triggers you and then you start flinging mud, right? It, that happens sometimes. I am not a perfect person. Of course, sometimes he says things that I go, okay, now we're going to get in it, you know? All right. Now I got to dig my heels in and fight back. But yeah. a lot of the time I just let him spew and I don't take on any of it because I know 
I know that it, he's just trying to figure out what he really feels. And that's what he has to do to figure it out sometimes. And some of it is mean. Some of it's not nice. And I just go, but I know that's not true. And I know you don't actually feel that way. So these are just words. The fact that he comes back the next day is huge. That's the reason Mm -hmm. I'm still here. If he did all that mudslinging and then never came back and self-corrected, I would never be able to stay. Right. Um, And also, it's a credit to me to be able to, in the moment, suss out what is mud and what Mm -hmm. is a rock. You know, and to go, the rock is the part that I got to catch before it hits me or hold on to when we address it later. And the mud, just wash it off. It's totally fine. And he's really lucky that I am that resilient because I think there is a resiliency to be able to stand in a storm and know, maybe not the truth, but know most enough of the truth to understand what to accept and what to decline, (laughs) you know. He has a truth too. And his truth is he's so very upset he can't manage it. And that's the truth. And so, you know, when I was talking about my marriage um, uh, on my marriage episode last week, um, the reason I did that episode is someone asked me, and I think this applies to parenting too, um, what makes makes you stay married uh, to a comedian? And I said, I don't think it has anything to do with a comedian. It has to do with, your intention. And I wake up every day wanting my partner to be happy without compromising my own happiness. Now, sometimes that's impossible. Sometimes I have to compromise and sometimes he has to compromise. But if my intention every day is to make sure that he's happy, not that I make him happy, but that he's happy and that I don't contribute to his unhappiness knowingly, then I think that you're, you're doing you're doing okay. But that doesn't mean that I'd put myself totally aside. But when he's in that moment of upset, I don't want him to feel upset. I don't want him to feel those intense feelings. I want him to feel better. So if, if it means that I need to hold his feelings, even the irrational, insane, ridiculous ones, if I need to hold them for a minute so that he can get to the bottom, then I can do that. I'll just toss them aside when he's done. And we'll move on, you know, because I want him to be happy. That's what I want. I don't want to win. I don't want to be right. That's a waste of time, right? In my opinion. That's how I approach it anyway. And maybe that's really unhealthy. <laughs> maybe that keeps me really unhealthy. But but I think it's healthy. And I think if you look at your child that way, I want my child to thrive. I want her to be happy. I want her to get what she wants as well as what she needs. And without compromising my own happiness to an extent, obviously you have to compromise to an extent, but I don't know. Beautiful. Anyway. Oh, thanks. I think like going circles back to just the, that whole idea of getting your kids buy-in and having kids who are compliant about things is that like your girls feel that about you, Leanne. They know that you want what's best for them and that you're not just, pushing your agenda for you. I hope so. I've tried to always be a good listener. Like you said earlier, if you're to be a good listener and then let them know that I'm a really good listener. Um, and I think if they feel listened to, then they'll feel more apt to talk to you. Your girls are lovely, by the way, you know, I was texting Georgia the other day. Oh, you were? I didn't uh-huh. know that. Just as Junie was touring there and I was like, Hey, if you see Junie, say hi. And 
Georgia wrote back like the sweetest message and Junie saw saw the message come in and was like, why are you texting with Georgia? um, (laughs) Georgia's just so sweet, but well, thank you. um, They didn't. Well, Junie thinks that she saw Georgia, but I mean, they had masks on and haven't seen each other forever. So Georgia looks very different. She's very tall, very skinny. um, And she's dyed her hair red. So yeah, it's pretty different, but Junie thinks that she saw Georgia in the science class, but I mean, it wasn't a situation where they could go talk. It was yeah, Junie totally. was shadowing. So Junie was shadowing at the school that Georgia and I are at. Yes. And I wanted some 411 about that. Um, um, oh, I mean, first of all, that campus is so beautiful. Isn't it? it? Is. That is a beautiful, beautiful campus. Um, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Junie was a little bit worried about the religious aspect of it. And I, I mean, that's just, we're going to face that. Well, she can talk to either of my girls about the religious That's aspect. What Georgia said. Georgia was like, have her call me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Isla did not want to take Ash Wednesday yesterday and didn't. And no problem. She was like, I don't want that on my face. I don't know what that means. And I don't know what Lent is. And I'm not doing it. And they were like, okay. So yeah. they, I mean, there is a lot of religion. It is a religious school. You do have to learn about Catholicism. But, um, but I don't think they... I think once they've taught it, it's up to the girls what you do with it, kind of, you know. And I don't, my kids have no religious background whatsoever, so I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing. I mean, listen, we left that campus and both of us were like, you would be very lucky to go to this school. It's a beautiful school. And I've Mm -hmm. been, I have a lot of good things to say about that school, about that has nothing to do with education. There's everything to do with how they treat the individual and how they treat the group. Um, they really, it is important at that school that those girls graduate feeling like they have a family. And there are retreats focused on that. And there uh-huh. are service days they do in school with each other. And they, you can join any sport you want to join having never played before. And there is no negativity about that. There is no... I, I mean, I just can't say enough good things about the social emotional piece of that school, I think is amazing. And I have a friend whose daughter is in eighth grade. Her daughter is definitely depressed. She's very withdrawn. She's extremely quiet. And um, she did her interview and, and I just casually said to the lady who interviewed her, so you interviewed my friend's daughter the other day. She was like, oh yeah, who? And I told her who, and she described that child soup to nuts. She, she spoke to her for maybe 10 minutes. And I went, I cannot believe you got all of that. I just got chills. I can't believe you got all of that in a 10 minute call. She got every, and I've known this child since she, since the little girl was four, she knew who that kid was in 10 minutes. And I was so impressed by that. Um, and she said, you know, I think she needs to be here. I think she needs the social part of this school. Um, I mean, that is such a huge part of high school, right? Is the community and finding that fit where I, I, did I think that I would be looking at an all girls Catholic school for my (laughs) family? No, but absolutely not. But, um, when I look at who my kids are, Mm -hmm. I think, no, they're not religious kids, but you need, you need a loving small group of kids. Mm -hmm. Well, any questions, let me know. And you can call either of my kids or have Junie called either. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's the thing. Your kids are just delightful. Oh, thank you. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And they both uh, really like that school for very different reasons. And both of them have very different reactions to the religious piece. And um, all of it's okay. So it's uh, not okay with me. All of it's obviously okay with me. All of it's okay at school. At the school, yeah. Like Georgia took Ash Wednesday. She got the thing on her head. I don't even know what it means. We're not religious either. Bert grew up Catholic, but I don't know anything about Catholicism at all. Um, And then... Isla was like, I'm not comfortable. I don't want to do that. And they said, no problem. So I was like, well, that's all you can ask for is to let the kid make the decision for themselves. What they're One of the with. things that Judy says, I mean, we, I didn't need to tell her anything about Catholicism. I was like, it's a Catholic school. She's in a, a swim league that's Catholic. So she does know a little bit, but we got there and we were walking around and she goes, mom, why is this woman everywhere? And I was like, that's the Virgin Mary. And she goes, they really love the Virgin Mary. Don't they? <laughs> Oh my God, I really just not told you anything. Yes, yes. <laughs> and there are real nuns at that school, like for real. Ow. They don't wear habits, but they are for real nuns and they run some of the like retreats. And I one is the president. Oh, yeah. One's the president of the school, sister. She is a rock star. I love her with her little tight curl hairdo. She always is wears the art a blazer. Teacher a nun? No. Okay. Art teacher is amazing, by the way. Yeah, I love the art Their teacher. whole art department is a home run. Not that this podcast was supposed to be about this, but. And Leanne, I'm going to have to go. I'm sorry. I have to, to go you, too. Have to I go. actually have okay. another podcast. So I have to go too. <laughs> but it's so good to see you guys. It's too long. Too long. Well, thanks again times. for having us. Thank you so it's much for fun. sharing all your expertise and knowledge and your experiences. And I love it. I love you both. I miss you. Love you guys um, too. So have a great day and McDermottMethod.com slash WOTP to check yep. out resilience-based parenting and all that they're about. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Guys. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. I think that we should